Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, and we're in I don't know how many days into the pajama pandemic. Uh, I'm in my pajamas, so when I actually went out and shoveled some snow, we got like a foot of snow today. But I have another interview for you guys, and these are working out really great. And this one is going to go in a little bit different direction. I have Everyday Jeremy on the line. Uh, Jeremy's a Sniper's Hide member, reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, how about getting the average guy's perspective? Now, Jeremy has an LE background as well as a, a light competition background and longtime Sniper's Hide member. So introduce yourself and say hi, Jeremy, and uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks for having me on. I want to say that first. And, and yeah, my name's Jeremy, and, and Frank said that. You know, I just wanted to reach out and, and see what else we could put out there. Um, I started, you know, from a, from a younger kid, I didn't have a lot of guns around the house. So I didn't really start hunting, shooting, doing a lot of this other stuff till a little bit later in life. And I really got into it from sort of the defensive shooting side, um, training, handgun, then later carbine, and got into precision rifle and shotgun and all that other stuff. But what I think is really interesting, and we can talk about this sort of through the podcast, is that the precision rifle side was such a different discipline that as I was going through my progression and learning how to, how to run these different platforms and different classes and competitions and things, I really, I got to precision rifle and sort of had to take a step back, not just from the equipment standpoint, but from the skill standpoint, because there's so much more to shooting precision rifle than what there is some of these other things. So um, that was sort of my thought and, and try to, to uh, add some context and, and just have a great conversation with Frank and see what comes out of it. Now, do you have any formal training in sort of a handgun carbine or precision rifle discipline? What, have you been in any classes, local, national, anything like that? Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> I was smart enough to know that I didn't know anything, so I needed to get some training. Um, so I started my training journey down at Tactical Defense Institute, which is in West Union, Ohio, with John Benner and his crew. I went down over a couple of years span. Actually, in one year, I took every handgun class that they offered. Um, continued to do that, took the rifle classes. I wound up getting invited back um, to be an adjunct instructor sometime later on. So I did that there. But, yeah, I learned the value of training right off the bat. When I got more into the carbine side, then I really branched out. I classes with Hackathorn and Rogers and Bill Jeans and those are the legacy guys and we could keep going and I don't want to just sit here and name drop. So, so yeah, I kind of was that training, I don't want to say training junkie, but I hit that training circuit at least on the Eastern half of the United States relatively hard. Okay. Cause you're, you're based out of Ohio, right? So it, yep. you're, you're, you're in the center there. Um, in not a, it's a good area for training, but not a great area for training. You you have to travel for sure to, to go see some stuff. On the on the other than that one local for precision rifle, did you go to anybody outside of that area for precision rifle or no, just your local guy? So um classes down there and then a few years later I branched out and uh, I actually went down to the Badlands in Oklahoma and have taken a number of classes down there as well. Man, Bobby hates me. <laughs> yeah, Bobby doesn't hate you as much as you think he does. Uh, but, you know, and, and we can get into the reasons why I chose to go there, which I, which is part of the journey. But I've also done some, within the LE circle, 
I've also done some law enforcement precision rifle classes with some really good guys too. So there's sort of that, you know, attainable, you know, everyone can get to those classes and there's some stuff I've done in the yeah, law enforcement. Side I've, been, I've been to Badlands a couple times and shot matches there. Uh, two or three, I shot three, I think. Um, did you, did, did you do classes to be with Steve Suttles? That was a big part of it. Um, and, and not just Steve, but I can tell you that Steve made a very big impact on, on me when we were out there. Okay. Yeah. Steve, for people who don't know, Steve was a Marine sniper, Vietnam, um, got some, got some numbers in the record books back from the Vietnam era. And he, he, he's, he had cancer and a bunch of other stuff. I don't even know if he's still around or even alive. Um, yeah, he is. is yep. he? Okay. Um, yeah. So he, he was a, a Vietnam era that worked Badlands pretty heavy. Um, Bobby had him, Steve, Kent Gooch down there, the, the, uh, paint slinger, Mike D. And I think that was it other than a couple helpers that were part of the LE community, the, the Norman, Oklahoma guys that helped them out. Um, in, in that area. So is that, was that your experience to go there and, and they're very old school, like the field craft stalking and things like that. Um, they, they were in, in my mind still kind of playing a little bit of the Vietnam, um, uh, you know, training mindset versus, you know, what we do today. Yes. And, and that's, <clears throat> that's a perfect intro. That's why I went there. A group of, of my friends here in Ohio, we all packed up. There's three of us. And we went out there and we said, we want to learn this stuff from that perspective. And it's not that we don't want to use electronics. It's not that we don't want to be able to, you know, fire up our Kestrel. It's that we want to learn this. You know, I wanted to look at the wind. I wanted to do the wind formula that everyone says is wrong and learn. Because until you learn, until you do those things, until you apply it, and until you put yourself in those situations, you don't really have the background to say, well, that sucks, right? So we wanted to go old school. We wanted to get the field craft. I, you know, we wanted to do the land nav. We wanted to do the stocking. Um, we wanted to do the hides. We wanted to do all that stuff because that's sort of the application side of precision rifle. Now, I understand there's a lot of people that they're not into that. They're going to go shoot a comp, you know, but I wanted to carry my rifle through the field and apply those things because that, that side of it is a piece of how it's applicable to what I could do in the law enforcement side, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get that. And, and, and cause we, y you haven't really touched on it, but you, you, you have the ability to look at things on the LE side of stuff because you're in that field. Uh, we don't have to focus on it at all, uh, you know, to keep your job separate, but you're able to look at, you know, both sides of the house, the, the, the law enforcement side and a, a sort of, you know, civilian competition, every man side of things as well. Absolutely. And, and that's what, you know, like I said, that's what led us to, to going to do that piece of it. Now that type of application side, that training is available in some areas in law enforcement through, now there are several different companies that out there that do it from high angle shooting to, you know, urban hides and, and all those kind of things that, that's part of that, that law enforcement sniper's job to do those things. So we backed up and, and went and did all that stuff. So Okay, now let's talk um, some of the matches and stuff. I, I know you, you just kind of like dipped the toe into some of the matches, but uh, did you do, is it mainly local matches or have you done any big two-day national types? Yeah, no, it's, 
it's difficult with my schedule. I don't get away, and frankly, I don't really know that I have a big desire to to go do big matches. I've done a handful of local matches. They're more of a field-ish type match. Um, nothing wrong with it, but a hand, I guess we can talk more about that. What I see with a lot of that stuff, though, and, and I've got a racing background. When I when I grew up, I worked on dirt sprint cars and and drove drag cars a little bit later on in life and did some other things. So I've got a pretty heavy racing background, and I'm, I'm still a big fan. But I see a lot of that. That's what some of the competition stuff is, is going towards. It's, you know, anytime you have a, have a prize and people gather to have a race, you know, competitors are going to do whatever they can do to win. And I see so much of that happening, you know, it, it not, you know from, the, from the benches anyways at least in the conversations, because what are we doing? We're, you know, better rifles, better optics, better this, better that. And it's all designed around giving themselves an edge, you know, to win that match. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I know there's been a lot of back and forth, and I guess I kind of come at this from the middle, and that's that context piece. You know, if they're running a an open division gun, you know, there should be an open division, right? Mm-hmm. Um I know we've talked, it's been talked about on your program and I'm, I'm not a, you know, an expert on it, but I know in other forms of racing, there are classes, you know, there's a late model class and a sprint car class and you don't run a late model in the sprint car class, you know, you just don't. So when these things sort of, as this matures and develops, I hope to see some of those things start to come out of it a little bit differently. And I think it would attract more people because if all you have is, in the sprint car world, the dirt sprint cars is you know, the four four ten sprint car is the kind of the ultimate thing. If that's all you got, the average guy can't afford one of those. Right. The average guy isn't going to go compete because he can't even, you know, a motor's fifty five, sixty thousand uh, dollars. You know, that's the average guy is saying that's half of my house. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do that. So, you know, having having some limits on those things and having classifications and categories, I think, is really something that they. Um, can look at to maybe stabilize some of the issues that that, that uh, the current configuration has. Well, and and I want to kind of go to that mindset thing a little bit, and th- and and you bring up a great point on the competitive spirit and how sometimes it can push people that when there's money and a prize on the line, because we do talk about prize tables and we do talk about sort of mindset and that hunger and the people who chase these things, and and you know. It, I, I agree. I think the rules need to be established in a way because even if we go to the NASCAR side and all the NASCAR people are off and, and right now and there are probably a bunch of them listening, think about sort of the, the, the NASCAR rule book, how they try to write this stuff to the nth degree where you think, well, a crew can't do something outside of the rule book, but the rule book is so detailed where are they finding a loophole? And I want to I want to talk about one loophole that was out there for years and was something we used to see at all these races when you're watching it on TV. And this goes to a competitive mindset. So they have a rule book. They use, you know, these laser um, measurers on the bodies and they're looking at the trim and they put the, the, the templates on these cars. And you think, well, okay, what can a guy do to a car, especially the body? When NASCAR's, excuse me, um, not breathing. When NASCAR's, you know, got the rules so locked down. Well, the tire changer would run up and knee the side panel 
right in front of the rear tire. So think about this, something that you may not pay attention to. You see pit crew, and a pit crew is running, you know, 14 seconds or less to change four tires. How observant do you have to be to catch that rear tire changer coming up to the car, throwing his knee into the quarter panel there, and denting it to help with aerodynamics? You know, it's that mindset that guys can really figure out, and they do it everywhere. Nothing is immune. So what you're saying kind of is is, is you're looking at it from, well, you don't want to be that kind of competitive guy. You actually want to go and use a competition to enhance your training. And, and, and that's kind of what I'm getting out of what you're saying to stay locally. And I get your schedule's not great, but you, you like the idea of the field in, in that versus sort of the, 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 the gamer side of things. Yeah. And one of the local matches that I have shot a little bit, like I said, it's more of a field type match. And the mentality to set that match up when I was shooting them a little more often was a big enough target that most people will get a hit and the time standard will sort of separate the pack. So if you're a really good shooter, you know, you're going to, you're going to get your hits faster. Everyone's going to get hit. So they feel good, but the good people will get hits fast. Right? So that's how the scoring system went, but it was put together very friendly. You know, they wanted everyone to come and have a good time because if you're not having a good time, you don't come back. Right. You know, and, and the, the prize tables for, for those matches at that point in time were, were you know, there, was a, there was a rifle to win, and I think they raffled them typically. So there wasn't a huge, um, other than having your name at the top of the list and shooting your best, there wasn't a huge race to win. But, you know, I, I think it was Carl Kinzer that said something like, if you, you know, if the prize was an old dead chicken, we'd still race for the checkered flag. Right. You know, so everyone, you know, people get competitive, and, and that's all fine. And it's not, it's not that I don't want to be competitive. I learned this lesson really shooting IDPA years ago. I was doing a lot of handgun training, um, and part of TDI's regimen down there is they've got very, very good close quarters um, shoot house programs. So top-notch, in my opinion. And, but what I found is that the competition, you know, at IDPA at the time, I, I assume they still do, had a 50% cover rule. You couldn't be more than 50% outside of cover when you took that shot. Well, in the real world, when you're playing that game, there's no 50% cover rule. And if you stick 50% of your body outside that, the edge of that wall, there's a good chance that 50% of your body can take up a round. So the, that's what separates some of it is when the, when the competition side of it pushes you to sort of change your own training and philosophies and then if it causes you to get to get sloppy on the street, you know, when you're when when the chips are really for real, then that can be kind of bad. So I've backed off of some of that training um, or competition, excuse me, because of that, because I don't want to get some bad habits from that that ultimately cost me you know, much more dearly later on down the road. Right. No, I get that. And that that's been something that people talk about all in the handgun side of things is, is, is the different series and how, how one creates the training scars and the other was designed to sort of fix those scars. 
Um, you know, at the end of the day, we know in the fight we, there shouldn't be any rules and we should be doing whatever we need to do to win. But, you know, on the competition side, when, when guys start working within the rules and then look for the gray areas, that's when I think things get funky for people. Because, and, and we've mentioned this before, I, I think the competitor starts to see the match director as the person they are supposed to defeat versus the other competitors. And that's where I feel sort of the mindset falls down when a guy says it's me against the match director and it's not, you know, me against the field. And so yeah. that that's that's kind of where I I mean if you had to boil down my problem, that would be it. It would be that a person who looks at the match director as another competitor. You know, and, and you've said it yourself there's, you know, that there's probably five or 10% of this whole thing that's the disagreement, right? Right. You know, and, and that's that context piece. And, you know, when I listen to that, in some of the early podcasts, when you'd start talking about that stuff, I kept always relating it back to, you know, my background, which was the race car side and saying, yeah, but if, if I can put on a, a, you know, a different set of aluminum heads and a new intake and change the jetting in the carburetors, I'd do it too, right? So if, if I could add more horsepower to the engine to go faster, I had the money to do that, I would do it. So I, I see it as such a such a glaring difference between what you know one side and the and the other is. But you you've got to put all this stuff in context, and I think that's what sometimes people don't do. Like you said, if we're if we're manipulating the rule book, well, that's what <laughs> that's what competitors do. Yes. They manipulate the rules in the rule book. But are we really? Is that really where we're at with this? I, I really sometimes don't think so. But then these things happen where people get super creative and then everyone goes, oh, no, now they're just cheating. Well, yeah, they probably are because in, in, when you don't put an, a stop to certain things, when you don't have you know tech inspection in the race car world to, ch- to pump the motor, to check to make sure you're not running nitro, when you don't have those things, then eventually everyone pushes that line. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it. No, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you're you're right. you're absolutely right that there is no tech inspection, and that the 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 envelope most people are pushing tends to move towards money and gear, not so much technique. It tends to be a product creates the technique versus a technique that utilizes a product. It's the product comes first, the technique to use it comes second, and then it's a product in some in some cases like a game changer bag becomes applicable. Okay, we see what we can do with a game changer. Now everybody knew a sandbag, shooting off a sandbag is good. Everybody always knew that if you put a sandbag down and put the rifle in it, it's going to hold and it's going to work. So now we take that sandbag concept, the rear bag concept, we move it to a game changer bag, and then we create a series around it. But I kind of look at when people were creating the wedges and the different things that were like a barricade-specific device, you know, a table and the different things and, and utilizing all these little sort of micro products, you, you know, that, that then become the, a, a, a bit of a difference maker. And that's mm-hmm. where I think tech inspections kind of, make that a level playing field and and 
you know, the rules, the rules make that a playing field where a match director would say, hey, listen, here's the rule. You're going to get a game changer. You're going to get a pillow. You're going to get a rear bag and a tripod. Nothing else. You know, you're not going to get a table. You're not going to get a chair. You're not going to get a step stool. You're not going to get, you know, a milk crate. Uh, You you know, uh, don't start adding, which is why they actually put so much of that into like an, and, and not in a negative way, but like the wedge blocks for an MPA chassis in anticipation of a rule change. It's like build it into the stock and then you can't argue it. You know what I mean? So they're trying to kind of play the rule book before there's even a real rule book established. Is is what I'm picking up that you're looking at as as that that guy from the outside looking in? Yeah, and and it's no different than when we run spec engines, you know. And when when the series, you know, like the ASCS 360 series or someone, they're talking about running a spec engine. Well, of course, everyone's racing to build the best spec engine next. So, like your wedges in the MPA or whatever. You know, those guys are figuring out, okay, the rule book says I can use these cylinder heads or these cylinder heads. Which ones flow better? Which ones can I modify to be better than the other ones? So that, that gear race, it does continue because it's still a competition. Someone still wants to win, and people are willing to put time, effort, money, and energy into better equipment so that they can have every advantage they can have when they go to those go to those stages. So, I, you know, I, I don't see it quite as critically maybe as you do or as it's coming off if, if i seem that way no i'm, cr- it, I'm know, critical it, I, yeah, I know you are but i'm trying yeah. to be nice yeah yeah no i mean <laughs> it's not but here's the because here's let me explain because people ask me i mean in the Podbean app and different things they they kind of feel i'm too harsh on certain stuff i see what we do as a martial art okay and it's a it, it, if in my context kind of what we're doing is we're going to a martial art event, okay? We're going to go do a kung fu event, and it's it's like if if you and I were, were, were across from each other during this martial art event, and then all of a sudden, out of my back, I pulled out nunchucks. <laughs> and, I sa- and you turned around and go, wait a minute, I'm not fighting Frank with nunchucks. But I said, well, wait a minute. The rule says I can't use them. The rule doesn't say I can't use them. Right. And that's kind of where it bothers me a little bit is where what people are doing. And, and somebody asked me, you know, why do I dis? I, I like competitions, but I tend to dislike the competitor. And somebody had asked me, well, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is the guy goes, what doesn't the rule book say? And then showing up with that. Well, the rule book doesn't say I can't, so I have it. And we all know the reality of that. It's it's asking for permission, or it's rather than ask for permission, it's ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness, right? Yeah. And, and in the case yeah. where people go, well, some now now a match director is going to walk up to you, and maybe you're a guy with a name, maybe you're somebody. It's the first time you're shooting that particular person's event. And they're really excited that you're there because you have a name behind it. Well, if I show up to your event for the first time and I'm a big name and then I pull something out that nobody's seen before and say, well, but your rule book doesn't say I can't. Odds are you're going to back down to me. You're going to be, okay, I wrote it wrong because I'm Frank 
and you're going to say Frank's smarter, Frank knows this industry, or Frank's uh, a name, you know, Frank's done it so much. And if he's telling me I didn't write my rules correctly, well, who's wrong and who's right here? But that's well, the problem I have is looking yeah. for that, that, that omission rather than working within it. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong because, you know, years ago, Rick Hendrick opened the checkbook to his R&D guys and said, build me a car that has to win. Right. And it did. And then NASCAR took it away from him and said, you, you don't ever do that again. But, you know, there was, there was a lesson because the, com- the competition got smarter you know, was willing to do something that NASCAR hadn't anticipated at that point in time. They did it. They, they, he won that was a million dollars that that night or whatever it was. And then they figured out after they sort of, you know, tech the car and deconstructed it, that it was everything that they hadn't even thought of hardly. So yeah, it's interesting. But here's, and here's kind of why I bring this up is because like the wedges and the wedge is a great example and and I and I don't necessarily mean the MPA wedge cuz it's really simple so let's go to the the more dedicated ones that's not an MPA take MPA out of this equation but think about how short of a lifespan those wedge systems lasted because everybody went to the bag cuz it was easier to work with a bag than it is a wedge so people were spending as I think as much as um, 400 bucks for some of those wedge ones, the double platform that went into the stocks and did the whole yeah. separate deal. Now, out of that platform tend to grew the Arca rail systems that we're using, but the wedge itself kind of had a short lifespan. And that is, I'm using that short lifespan to kind of make my point for me. You know, it, it didn't last. It's right. not universal. It didn't go extend beyond the competition series to the degree. Now, a game changer did. A game changer mm-hmm. is. So I, I don't put that in the same category. What did outlast was guys carrying three and four bags. When guys had, you know, the pillows wrapped around them and stuff, it, they, they sort of said, you know, at this point we went to too many. So now we need to back it down again. And, and I think that's where the rule book should have stepped in, but didn't step in. You know, and, and to me, that that was sort of a little bit of my issue. But um, let's switch gears really quick and get out of like bagging on competitions because I do like them. You know, it, it, it's just a, it's, it's kind of a further explanation of my mindset and what I say. But um, you you kind of you've been listening to podcasts. You've been a longtime guy on Sniper's Hide. Um, how are some of uh, like these devices we talk about? How how did you find utilizing them as an end user and an everyday guy listening to a guy on on your phone or on your computer or seeing somebody on the internet and then taking that off to the real world? Yeah. Um. <sighs> That's that's a that's a great line. One of the things about this is that there's so much of it, and it gets driven from that competition side. You know, it was like you talked about. You know, there was, and I, I've got a bunch of triad stuff, right? There was the cylinder, and then the wedge, and all these other things. The next thing you know, you've got you've got literally, you know, a whole crate full of, you know, and a big crate full of bags that you don't even use anymore. Um, that's the difficult part. Because it's so easy 
to sit on the couch while whatever's on TV and order stuff. It's harder to go out and use the stuff and figure out, yeah, this doesn't work. And for you know a guy like me, I don't have unlimited funds to throw at this. I've got other things I've got to fund too. So it's it's difficult when you look at all this gear, and it's all good gear. I'm not saying anything's bad about it, but how much of it is applicable to what I'm doing, and how much of it am I am I never going to use? So to sort of go back to that a little bit, for me that's training. It's when you go to training, what were your deficiencies? And and I don't mean you know could you could you not keep your finger ninety ninety degrees and press the trigger? I mean. When you, you, after you've laid on a rifle for four or five days, when you come off of it, you come away from that, you start to understand where your gear fell down. And then you look at what's, you know, what's talked about and what's available on, on the hide and, you know, vendor links and everything else to say, okay, hey, there's a, there's a better solution for these scenarios that I face during training. I need to get that solution and then replicate that training piece that we were doing to make sure that's the solution that I need. So some of it is finding the deficiencies through doing and then finding the solutions. Okay. And, and was there anything that you were looking at or going to, to kind of jump on? And then you, you, you went and did a little bit of background and looked and said, Oh, I'm not gonna, because there, 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 there seems to be, you know, some question about it, either through the podcast or on the site or something like that. Have you been prevented or or swayed from purchasing something that in your mind said, oh, I think I'm going to get that. And then you went and looked at it. Yeah, both. Definitely. There's times when you you find the right thread and people are talking about it and saying, yeah, this works really good for this and this, but I found it didn't work as well for that. Well, if, if option three was what I wanted it for, then that's, going to slow me down. But, and I, you know, this goes back to sort of context, right? You, we lose that when we type words and stick them on a forum and we don't always know what someone's intent is. Are they really using it the way I would, I would use it? Um, so yes, there's absolutely things that I've looked at and thought, nah, I don't need that. And then, you know, after following a thread or a few threads or going back and visiting, like, you know what? I really think that would be a good solution. Or you go back and you could see how many people say, yeah, I, I tried that. It, it didn't work. You know, when you get multiples of that. So it definitely influences the market um, when you see stuff like that. Okay. It, it, can you think of any one product that you, you might've backed off on buying that you thought you, you wanted and then said, is there anything that comes to mind that said, well, I was going to get this and I was, I was, I was kind of shopping it. And then change my mind. Can you think of any one product that you, you, you might have done that with? And I know I'm blindsiding you with it. but um. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> you know, I think optics more than anything. I had looked and looked and looked because, you know, I can only afford so many scopes and so many spotting scopes and things. There, were, there was definitely scopes that I looked at, rifle scopes that I looked at. And the more I researched what I saw in the hide, you know, and sometimes some other places too, you're really like, yeah, you know, that doesn't really sound like what I really want. Um, although, you know, in full disclosure, I know there's one brand that you've had a bad track record with and you don't even want to really bring it up on the hide. I've actually got a couple of them and they work fine. But Oh, you're an IOR, an IOR guy? <laughs> I've got a couple of them. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all, but i got two of them that work. It's got great fine. glass, great glass. <laughs> yeah, 
and and they track, so I I can't complain. But that being said, you know, will I ever buy another one? No, you know. And technology's changed. You know, the the machining, the technology, and all that stuff. It's allowed us to get beyond a lot of that stuff. So, you know, where the funny part is is like all the ones that are working really good now. They've like OEM the internals from uh, Japan and, and they're just using their glass and now they have like Japanese internals so they get them to track better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and these are these are 10 years old. So Yeah, they're, they're the old ones in, so, in the wings. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're the old ones, which, you know, but but that being said, you know, I've, I've got a lot of, I've got Night Forces, I've got Vortexes, I've got other stuff. And, and part of that is, you know, when, when we're looking at stuff, you know, everyone's going to recommend the best, right? Right. And that's what's hard is that one of the things at the forums, they really, they, they, the question doesn't get framed in the right context a lot of times. Here's what I do with the rifle. Can you help me pick a scope, right? And so often we don't, we, we get off on that. Well, just go buy a, a TT or well, buy yeah, a people Z, buy their Zico, favorite. You know? Right, right. Now, right. Have they, you noticed? They recommend their favorite. Have you noticed, and people kind of look at me as being a dick about it, but have you noticed me pushing people to ask better questions? Yes. You even, on one of the threads I noticed where you kind of went back and said, here's what you should be asking. Um, The problem with that is that sometimes, especially if they're not someone who's kind of grown up a little bit about, about how they work on things, work on the internet people get put off when someone's scolding them about asking a bad question. And sometimes we're dicks about it. Other times we're really trying to help because we're trying to frame it up for them saying, okay, well, what do you really use this thing for? You know, what's your max range and what caliber is the rifle? And is it going to be for paper or are you going to take serious classes with it? You know, there's, there's differences, but making that right recommendation is so much about getting the right question. Yeah. It framed properly. Well, because you're absolutely right that most people go, it's, 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 you know, misery loves company. So if you come onto the internet just blindly and say, pick my, you know, pick my favorite color, Frank's going to come on and say, you know, blue or red and red, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and I'm going to, you know, for me, it'd be like, oh, you know, that deep, dark purple. And, and, and it's like, well, that's what everybody says is what's my favorite color and here's the answer for each individual sure. where if you say this is the task this is the purpose this is the mission that i'm looking to execute with my gear help me pick the best product to to fulfill that and then that mm-hmm. changes the entire dynamic versus coming on and saying i need a new scope what do you recommend <laughs> and i think most people sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no no that. go ahead I think most people don't understand the mission. I think that's so much of, you know, they know they want to get into shooting precision rifle. They, they, you know, they know enough about why they want to get in. They don't know where they're going to go. And that's understandable to a, you know, you don't know where the, where the journey is going to end. You just know where the journey is going to start. So it's hard for them to really sometimes identify that. And that's why sometimes you're just looking at, you know, how other people ask these, you know, well, I punch paper with it, a little bit of steel, my furthest range is 700 yards at my local club. I'll probably never shoot it past a thousand, you know, and I've only got a thousand dollars. Well, then you've got something to work with. You know, what's the best scope for a six, five Creedmoor XYZ rifle. Well, that can go a lot of different ways. 
Right, right. And and, and that's the thing that I'm trying well, – because I look at the question as being evergreen content on the forum. I don't generally prune the informational sections. I'll prune the PX. I'll prune the beer pit. And I'll get rid of sort of the, the, the throwaway content. But then in the evergreen sections, if I helped you craft a smarter question, if I help you look at the, that, that mission and explain yourself better, well, when the next guy comes around, I, hopefully he reads that and then he crafts a better question and he learns. You know, so I'm trying to kind of create a smarter end user. And yeah, I do scold people. Yeah, I'm a dick online when we, because it's my house. I don't care. I just come in and go, ah, I'm done. You know, and, and it's like I'm really doing it quickly and I'm so short because I just want to get it done and be out of there. And so my, 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 my text comes off short, you know, no pun intended, but it's, it's, it comes off quick and sharp. And I don't sugarcoat things for people because I don't see a reason to do that. We're all supposed, I mean, people come on a site called Snipers Hide and then get offended by the weirdest things. And you probably see that all over. Yeah. Oh, believe me. Uh, every time I drive up to a residence and ask a question. <laughs> oh, you mean the, wait, wait, from the homeowner? <laughs> well, yeah, on the law enforcement side. Yeah, you right. You No, know, hey. What did Sally do? Well, it started last, you know, six years ago. And oh, wait a minute, time out. What happened today? Why am I here? Well, you, I, don't, I don't care about what happened six years ago. The statute of limitations is over on that now. Well, but your presence alone puts people on a defensive. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I kind of see that same thing is that, that just people get defensive when you're like, hey, man, we're really trying to help you. And, you know, we're basically just saying we're not from in my mindset, I'm not basically saying don't ask the question. I'm saying if you ask a smarter question, you're going to get a better answer. And a smarter question includes these following elements. Like you said, it's budget, it's mission, it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit about you because this is a personal thing. You have to interact with that. And, and that's why I say, you know, like with scopes to, to, to focus on that, the reticle really is that it should be a much bigger factor for people because that's your kind of interaction point. That's what you're looking through. That's what you're reading. That's kind of where you're lining everything up. And what is your eye focusing on? The reticle. What are we looking at? And what is the information being pulled in? If the reticle goes counter to your brain's sort of wiring, well, you're never going to do well with it. Where if somebody says, hey, you should get this scope and with no consideration to that that personal interaction, the user interface, well, you may, that's a 50-50 chance, you're not going to be successful with it because you went on their recommendation and not what your brain told you it liked. Yeah. And in, and that's an educated question too, because until they until they've you know laid behind a reticle for a long time, yeah, it's all fine and dandy to look you know pull down the PDF and look at the spreadsheet, but when you look through that damn thing for hours, you know milling targets in the middle of a you know a, <laughs> a damn near desert Oklahoma landscape or wherever you may be, you know 
using them is different than looking at them on paper, but at least you're getting a representation. But the, the more you do with that, the more you know. And that's where I think a lot of really experienced users, they make some great recommendations. And those new people coming in, they, they don't really understand why they're making that recommendation. Well, um, and, you know, and did you see the drama on the Army reticle I posted this week? A little bit. Okay, well, on Facebook, it went out of control. I basically took the post that I made on the forum, I shared it on Facebook, and it went nuts. So I blew the internet up, and everybody's laughing. And I kind of threw it out there like a hand grenade and walked away because the Army finally released they the army created a proprietary holdover reticle it's it's an h59 with this with that and they modified a horus reticle to suit the army and the army created a proprietary version that won't get sold to civilians now is it so big and different from a horus that if you got a horus it would be no it it's just how the how the end user, the army saw it, they wanted it a little bit different. They created a proprietary reticle. So in throwing this out on the internet, and then it was done on purpose. I kind of had a, a little insider help. Um, it it blew up, and I broke the internet, especially like Facebook on Sniper's Hide. It was actually much mellower because people realize that I'm not a Horace fan to begin with, and and. We know mills work. We know holding works. We, you know, there's no drama, but there's there's the there's the physiology. There's the brain. What attracts your eye? Where's your where's your head gonna go once you put you know it inside a scope? And and that's the missing element that people don't realize is, you know, everybody may tell you go buy this. You need this to do that. Which we all know there's ten things out there that'll do it for us. Or do it, yep. we can do it with. Do it with, yeah. Right. And everybody will go, well, if you got to do it, you got to do it with this. And, and so a guy goes out and buys it. Meanwhile, this guy's brain hates it. But he's, he's going to argue with it because everybody told him to buy it. And, and that kind of came out of, of the post because when, when you tell everybody, this is a proprietary reticle for the Army. It's designed to do this. And, you know, they're looking to put metal to meat. And th their mission is different. A minute of man, all these other things, and yet they want elements of some of this other stuff. But everybody immediately, especially like if you look at the foreign posts, I have a lot of guys on my Facebook feed from overseas. They hate it. Everybody went nuts. And kind of me and some of the Army guys are sitting back on the backside. We're kind of sitting back in my chair. We're laughing about it. You know, we're kind of going, hey, dude, did I blow the internet up enough for you? It was clickbait in a way. Um, well... Yeah, you, you tend to create that drama, and now part of it's probably on purpose, and part of it, it like is. you said, you're you're a little more curt. I tend to be that way. Um, my wife tells me that I can be a real dick at times, but the sometimes you're doing it and you don't realize, and other times you're relishing in doing it, and that's just that's what you do. So someone asked. I usually like almost always realize it, but I'm doing it because it entertains me too. I'm bored, you know, like anybody else. So, but I mean, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, you know, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. Nothing draws a bigger crowd like a fight. Right. You know, and that's yep. kind of like when, when I want to ramp something up, I'm going to kind of spin a little drama around it because I want this to sort of go viral. I have a formula for viral. It's been my mindset since the first day I created the site. And which is why I tend to be polarizing the people because that's sort of like 
an unspoken mission statement is that nothing draws a crowd like a crowd and nothing draws a bigger crowd like a fight. And, and, and if I follow that, it works. Now, so, would it work for everybody? Maybe not. Well, let's go back to our NASCAR analogy and why did uh, Dale Earnhardt run into some people sometimes? Yes. And he laughed about it. He sold t-shirts. Yes. Yeah. You know, he and they were just talking about that the other day. He and Rusty practice or were practicing a mission or something, crashed during practice. And they asked Rusty what happened. He said, we're selling t-shirts. Yeah. You know, they're, they're building a rivalry. The, the more people that, oh my God, he did this and he did that. They run down to the t-shirt stand and they spend money on t-shirts. So, you know, there, there's a financial benefit to, to having the fight, so to speak. And you know what? I would never in my life ever, ever, ever try to compare myself to a Dale Earnhardt. But at the same <laughs> time, if you watch when he did that stuff, there was always that wiry little smile on the side that he made. Like when he was walking away, he was he was smirking. He knew what he just did. And when I'm doing that on this side of the computer, I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm smirking as well. Like I'm not getting up and going, oh, fire, you know, because I'm actually laughing on some of that stuff. Now, there's certain people that do piss me off and I can get rid of them on my site. And it's like, dude, you're just being an ass now, not you know. But at the same time, I'm there's, I would say ninety percent of the time, I'm smirking on the back, you know, <laughs> on the sure. backside, and because I do, and I and and I do, I, I the same thing when I watch Dale Earnhardt knock somebody out of the way, they they ask him about it, he always had that smirk. I got you, you know what I mean, because. Who, where are you going to go when the race is over? Are you going to go talk to somebody else? Or are you going to go run right to Dale Earnhardt first? Yeah, stick your head in the car and say, why did you do that? Yeah, you if know, you, something. If you, if you have some time, I don't know if you ever watched the, the Dirty Mo uh, podcast or the broadcast that yeah, Dale I mean, uh, Jr. does. What, um, fun fact, the, one of the producers for Dale's thing yeah. is a girl, a woman, and her brother is a PRS shooter and came to our class in Tennessee. Okay. Watch the one that he did with Kenny Schrader. I grew up watching Kenny Schrader on Dirt Tracks. Great one that talks about that whole episode. But, hey, let's talk about training a little bit. Let's switch gears. Okay, perfect. So we, where do you see some of the training stuff going? Forget about this this COVID thing that we're in, but where do you see that going? Uh, you're, you're obviously moving around the country doing stuff. Um, it, well, it's, thoughts, it, it's, st it's still it's still dual track. You still have the people who want to train sort of on the defensive. You know, I'm training for me. I'm training for either the pajama pandemic or something going on. And then there's the people who are training for competition. Okay, so the I see the training in in basically it's almost three ways because there is a certain amount where people are seeing on the hunting side. I could be a much more effective hunter if I get some training. There's the people who are training to to who are hearing this in, in you know the podcast and want to be a better marksman all around and saying I've invested so much money in my gear now I'm going to learn it. And then there's those who are training to um, do competition. So I see it those three ways right now. Let's talk about that middle person because that's who I see more. I think that represents a, a mix of the other two. But that's so much of it is people when they finally realize, yeah, they've they've tried to zero their rifle and they've done okay with it. 
but they finally break out and take a class. And that's, that's part of sort of my message and what I want to talk about is that I know it's a financial burden and it's a time burden. And I get that because I work every other weekend um, as a deputy. So, you know, weekends when classes are typically held, that's a tough time for me, but you really don't know what you, what you don't know until you get out there and, and you sign up for the class and you buy the bullets and you zero the gun and you hear what people have to say. It's such an incredible learning experience. And one of the points I want to talk about, I learned a long time ago that you can take the same, you know, I can take Frank's class twice and I'm still going to learn something the second time around. And I, I had the opportunity to, to retake a class once with, with some other family members. And I was shocked, just totally shocked how much more I learned the second time through that class, because I already kind of knew the content. I had, I had mastered some of it, but still, you know, there's always work for us to do so that you can always get better. You can always you shoot better, shoot faster, which don't always, you know, correlate, but be more efficient. Um, there's always things to learn. And, and I really, I've done so much training over the years in, in different things. That's one of the things I always tell people when they ask me about, hey, I want to go do this or go do that. Go take their basic class. Never ask to skip to an advanced level. I've seen that backfire on people. It backfired on me one time. And never be afraid to take, you know, someone's level one class or whatever, whatever you want to call it more than once because you'll get more out of it the second time than you really did the first time. We find that a lot. Um, I get that all the time. And like when I, when I was out taking more classes myself, like for me, the weak link was handgun and carbine. So I always went out and took handgun and carbine classes. I always took a basic class, okay? Even if they offered an advance and, and a lot of times, like it could be like a, a Larry Vickers who knows me and I've been to Larry's class about four times. I've never gone outside of Larry's basic. The Pat Rogers, like you mentioned, I've done. It was just his Pat's basic class. Um, you know, I, I'm a basic class guy, but in my... I, I look at it, my classes average between two and three days. I'm giving you a fire hose of data that if we even look at what I mention all the time, the 80-40-20, okay? So 80-40-20 means I'm giving you 80% of my knowledge. You're absorbing 40% of it, and you're able to regurgitate 20 of it. So if you do it a second time, you're then boosting your odds back up to my 80. If you go to, or actually you're at the 40, if you do it a second time. And we have a lot of repeat students who do do that. And they all say to the man, they've gotten more out of it the second time around because it was such a fire hose the first time. And it this doesn't work for everybody. There's some people that that have backgrounds and are naturally good and do things on on a different way, absorb the information a little bit better than that other guy. But for some people, when they realize, wow, there's a lot of data here, they come back that second time. And I, I mean, heck, we got guys like um, up in Alaska, Joe PP. He's taken my class at least eight times. He comes every opportunity he can, and and. We do see that, and I think it really matters when people do it. Oh, I yes, I, I concur wholeheartedly. One of the gentlemen that I shoot with somewhat locally here, I've seen him do that, progress through basic classes, taking the same classes, the same, you know, 
over and over again, like we've talked about. And what he gains those, you know, because he, he and I have talked about it, he gains efficiency, you know. And then when when you're when you've got that efficiency, you've already got you know one, two, and three covered. So when you're throwing topics five, six, seven, and eight in, there's a much better chance he can absorb five, six, seven, and eight because he's not worried about one, two, and three. He's got that. So. I think it's a it's a point that gets missed, and it's I understand it's resources, it's time, money, and energy, and effort, and everything else. But well, you know, I, I see it a lot where people want to, you know, they want ninja skills, right? But they don't want to learn how to plant their feet first. Yeah, yeah. And and one of the things that that's a great example of that is is if you think about the mile per hour gun in the wind podcast, we've done how many times on this podcast have I talked about the wind? And yet I can go into the app and you know. Every every three weeks, somebody comes around in the app and says, what's with that wind again? Talk about that wind again. Follow up on that wind again. And so here we've done huge episodes talking, you know, with Mike and myself and myself and then with Mark and, and with everybody talking wind. And yet everybody wants us to follow up with that and do more. Talk more. Talk more. And it's that single subject. So that, that's kind of a great way of saying, well, because these are sort of complex uh, theories, with, you know, or, or things that we're doing. And it, it takes something to put people in because you're listening to it on the computer or you're driving in your car and hearing it. And something may resonate on that, that ride home, but you have nowhere to go with it. I mean, have you noticed, has there been anything in the podcast like that where – you're hearing it and going, I have to remember that, go try that, go do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a, a few of the podcasts that I, I'll listen to them in the cruiser in the mornings when it's quiet. And it's, I'll, I'm like, oh, that's a great point. I'll just pause the podcast and I won't listen to it the rest of the day. I'll, I'll wait till I'm at home and can listen to it in more detail and maybe scribble a note or two down um, without question. You know, um, when you, you reference that mile per hour wind podcast, yeah, that's one I think I've listened to it twice because I wanted to make sure that I was extrapolating everything I could get from that piece. And you know, the talk about the weaponized math from from Mark, I haven't completely, I, I don't think, conquered that, but I, I get the concept. But just because I get a concept doesn't mean I don't have more homework to do because I want to make sure I know the material. Yeah, and, and we so have that, the article on the front page with all the data too. So you can go in and read yeah. right Mark's article that he wrote. Um, to kind of go on that, have you looked at like like um, Jackmaster Ted there on the site? He's still creating new documents for all this stuff we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. have, have you referenced any of those docs that Ted's put put up? I have not yet. That's sort of, you know, on my to-do list is to investigate that a little bit more and, and follow up more with that weapon. He, he, he just added, and, and it looks like if you've ever seen the density altitude, the chart, right, the card, um, where yep. you could basically say, you know, I'm at this elevation and it's this temperature, and then it's got the angled scale, so you kind of slide over and you go, okay, it's, it's 75 degrees out. I'm at 5,000 feet above sea level, so my DA is 7,000, right? And, and mm-hmm. it, Jackmaster created um, a chart like that for Josh Kuntz's, um, you know, his, uh, God, what, the TNF, his trajectory validation system where you yeah. can look at two different things. Well, Jackmaster created a chart for that 
where you can say my muzzle velocity is this, my bullet BC is this, and, you know, who wins? If I want to pick bullet A or bullet B, he created a, you know, hand chart for that, which is fantastic. Right. Well, think about the resource, and I think that's something that doesn't probably get said enough, is that you know, there's so much more to precision rifle than there is handgun and carbine, and some people argue, but I don't care. Um, it takes more resources to do all this stuff and the technology's changing, the bullets are changing, the, the guns are changing, all this stuff's getting better and better and better. And it, the community that's, that's been fostered, you know, within the hide is think about, you got some, some, you got people that be much better on this podcast than me that are everyday users of that hide that you should really get on. But, you know, think about those guys and the contribution they're making. I'm really not saying this to you. I'm saying this to everyone else out there. There are so many really smart people on the hide, and there's been several people that I've reached out to over the years in a, in a private message and asked, you know, hey, I don't want to ask this question in the forum, but you seem like you've got a clue here. Can you help me out? You know, and I've always gotten help. I've always got answers. So, you know, it's a great community. I'm not just stroking your ego because I don't need to do that. Um, but I really am appreciative of of what's what's coming out of that if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And here's here's the here's the element that that you experience that I don't think people realize. Where if you get if you went to like Ted, you know, you see Jack Master doing all this stuff. If you hit him up on the side and said, "Hey man, this this data is really great. I like this, but I've been thinking about this. Is there a way to visualize that?" They're excited as an individual that somebody reached out to them and recognized that they have brain power going on. I mean, this guy's a big brain. He, you, I don't know his name because he's hiding behind a, a, you know, an avatar. Name, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And and it's like, but dude, that dude's a big brain right there. And everything he writes, I find myself reading. Where if you hit those guys up on the, like you said, on a private message and talk to them, they're all about helping each other and doing all this. And and that relationship gets that much better. And with the thousands of people on there, there are these handful of people. Well, you know, just that invitation to say, hey, man, I want to talk to you more. That, and I don't mean this in a crass way, but that strokes an ego. And that mm -hmm. strokes an ego in a positive way that that guy's going to be in your corner. He's going to help you because you just validated all the work he put into it. So he's going to want to do more of that and get more validation. It's it's it, it's the it's the hamster. You know what I mean? The bell rings, the hamster hits the pedal, the pellet comes out. When when that and the, yep, and the community gets stronger and stronger because of it. Yes. Yes. And so that's that's a big big element of it. So no, I appreciate that. And and training is I mean training never ends. I, I'm not stopping. I go to these things. You know what I mean? I'm learning new stuff. We're finding ways of, of executing, you know, all of these elements easier, quicker, with less thinking, more reading, less thinking. You know, how do I, how do I get this number without a longhand formula? Like when you talked about the longhand math for, or wind formula, the Marine Corps one. Yeah. You know, that's longhand math, algebra, and you got to basically pull your computer out or your cal your phone. Calculator. Well, yeah. Right, right. You're going to put a calculator. You got to crunch four numbers, you know. Well, if we now figured out how to do it with two numbers, well, we just saved you <laughs> half the time and you don't have to pull your calculator out. 
And, right. and so it never ends where there might be a concept that we know works 100%. But now we're going to say, okay, we know this concept works. We know this is valid data, but I really have to be at my desk to get the answer. Well, what can I do to get that answer easier, but in the field without my computer, without my phone? And that's really the direction I've been heading with training. I'm going back to paper and we're talking less about computers. I'm going back to backed up data, you know? So that's kind of when you, when you ask that stuff, that's where my head's at is how do I get you from in front of your desk away from your phone and into the field, but being equally as effective as if I let you have all the resources of your iPhone. Mm-hmm. I, I was really kind of surprised. You were talking a lot about going back to paper, back to a data book. I, I never left one. Um, I really so, didn't either, but you know, but yeah, and, and I get that, you know, people standing around playing with their, their, their devices all day. We'll just say it that way. I, I get it. But I always just opened up my data book and went, well, the target's 675. Here's my 700 dope and my 650 dope. Yeah, you know, this will work. So I, I get it. But that, that is, you know, we all want instant answers. It's society. It's, you know, the, the ability to, to, to Google an answer very quickly. You know, but you have to understand, you have to ask the right question to begin with and then have the right context for it or else you're not going to get the right answer. No, and I, I think these, you know, and, and the thing is, is I tend to, I'm finding you'll learn more if I forced you to write it down. If you just throw it in your phone like everybody else, I, I mean, everything every day, you, you know, we'll run into somebody and, and, and what, ha- I mean, look at phone numbers today. Okay. I, I don't know how old you are, Jeremy. Um, I'm sure you're close to my age. Yep. We used to, we used to have to memorize everybody's phone number. We had a big, you know, we had a big phone book and all these things. Well, today I don't even know my own freaking house number. I know my, I know my cell number cause it's never changed since my first, the, this cell phone number is the first number I've ever had. I've never changed it. So I know it, but my house phone has been changed. I have no clue. And, and what really bothers me is like, I'll call up and order pizza. And then they'll go, what's your phone number? And I go, ah, oh, dude, I don't know what my fucking phone number is. You know? And it's like, doesn't it say? <laughs> you know what the caller ID? Caller ID, man. Come yeah, on. it's right yeah. there. What does it say? I don't know my phone number. But if I write it down, well, I can remember it. Yeah, it's a side note. But you see it in society, too, right? How do we get places anymore? We don't get the map out. No. You know, we use our phone. You know, we use our GPS or use our phone, and that's, you know, that creates issues because then people don't know where they're at when their phone dies. Uh, but that's all another side. Note. I, dude, I still, I still know more. the, I still know the license plate of the Batmobile three F thirty five sixty seven. It's, it's like I know the license plate on the Batmobile, but I don't know my own phone number. You know, right. it, it's like, how crazy is that? Because in every friggin' Batman show, when they show the afterburner kick in, the the license plate was there. And Taylor, <laughs> Taylor used to force us, because we'd be, well, we were in the, in, the, in the Marine Corps, and we'd be sitting around. I had cable in my barracks. I was the, like the only room in all three floors had cable TV, because I realized, like me and my buddy uh, Craig, we're like, hey, man, the barracks are wired for cable. 
And I went and called up and I'm like, hey, can I get cable? And they're like, yeah, we'll put cable in your room. So we used to watch movies and we'd be sitting around watching movies. And uh, Mark Taylor would go, you know, 15 minutes after it happened, he'd go, what's the license plate on the blue Chevelle? <laughs> and so every time we were watching a TV show, we'd all be memorizing license plates because we know Mark's going to ask us. Right. It became a Kim's game. Right? Yes, it's a Kim's game. Yeah. And, That's and, what he was doing, and, you know, even though it wasn't officially a Kim's game. Right. And, and so, you know, that kind of stuff, we memorized it. But there's guys out there today, you know, if you say, hey, dude, what's your thousand-yard dope? And they own one rifle, and they can't tell you. They got to look it up. Right. And, 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 that's, and that's a mantra Mark brings in is, dude, you, it's ten numbers. They're, you know, one through, it's less than ten if you're in mills. You know, it's probably going to be seven to eight-something. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. In, 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 unless you're a 308, then you're going to be in the 10s or 11s, depending where you yeah, live. But um, Yeah, and, and so it's like when you ask somebody, hey, dude, what's your 1,000-yard dope? And they go, oh, I don't know. I got to look on my phone. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why don't you know it? And so that's, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at with that. But I think that that's a good reminder and, and that's a little bit about why, you know, I went and took some of the classes I did because I wanted to do the longhand math. I wanted to learn that method. I have more appreciation for being able to shortcut the math or use the technology. But if, you know, I don't want to say, well, if, the, you know, if batteries, you can't get batteries anymore. Then I, yeah, that's not really why. But I wanted to have that old school appreciation for, for what we have today. Um, so in, in order to do that, you have to go do the long math. You have to you have to visit with those people that have that kind of tribal knowledge and are willing to put that out there. Did 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 Bobby give you when when you came in in the morning? Did he give you the an EMP was exploded over Greenfield, Oklahoma, and your electronics <laughs> no longer work? No, he's not. The, he's not that anti technology, but he he will make you do the do the math. I yeah, mean, yeah. You know, it's it's but it's it's part of that's the way he teaches that curriculum, and there's. There's nothing wrong with it. No, it's, I'm teasing know, him. It, it, I know, I know. But he's even, I was going to tell you, he's even got a Kestrel hanging from the, there at the KD range. He's got a Kestrel hanging on the, the peg all the time. So if you really want to go get your DA or whatever, there's one hanging there that's on all the time. So, but, you know, because that's all, that's all part of data collection. That's all part of filling out the data book is, you know, elevation, temperature, humidity, right? All that stuff. So he's got it right there so that no one's got a, Worry about right you know, hunt for I, I didn't it. Didn't reset my station pressure. Uh, is my is my cash flow right? Well, it's right there. Right? Yep. You know. Yep. So. No, and 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 honestly, and that's just kind of what uh, and why I've actually noticed, and I don't know if this is if there's a cause and effect to it. A little bit less questioning on the app side of things. You know, I know there's still uh, mainly uh, it, most of it is because it's Kestrel related. Uh, for a lot of the questions, or AB and Kestrel related, so mm -hmm. Kestrel being on Sniper's Hide and they're answering those questions for people. Most people are staying in Kestrel's customer service threads because they know Kestrel will come on and answer it for you. So you can well, ask yeah. them directly on the hide versus asking me. You don't have to come on and ask the general population, "Hey, what's wrong with my Kestrel?" You can go to Kestrel and say. Hey, you know, I noticed this on my, my unit. What is it? And then Kestrel will come on and say, oh, that's A, B, and C. And so we see less threads that are, that are sort of standalone, and, and we're seeing more traffic in the focused Kestrel areas when it sure. comes to software. Well, and, and look at, you know, the user interface for Ford Off is good. 
Um, the user interface for all these have gotten better. So there's just less clunkiness on the app, I think, too. They've, you know, the app designers have gotten better. It's the technology, it's the advancement of that, that, you know, put all that together. And yeah, you're, you're getting less. I can't get X, Y, Z program to run right because they run better today. Yeah, yeah. No, it make it makes sense. Hey, um, we're 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 over the hour, so I didn't know what to keep you. We'll just kind of get into uh, okay. if there was any other points you wanted to go on to. Uh, we don't have to stick to any time uh, thing. But is there anything else you wanted to kind of come in on, or or, or was not, there a know, high not point? A, not, I, I think that I think I've kind of already made them. You know, it's it's. I go back to application and context. You know, so many of these questions don't get framed correctly. Um, I wanted to touch on the community. I wanted to make that link kind of between, between the competition thing from the racing background that I have. Um, I, you know, and like I said, I just wanted to see if this works as a reasonable podcast, if people will be, you know, I'm not that interesting to talk to. Um, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it'll be the worst one you've ever done. Nah, no, no. end user experience, right? Yeah, and, and honestly, I just I just didn't, you know, it, it's like I've been bringing people on to talk to them because I got kind of tired of just being on here by myself and talking to for myself. <laughs> and it's like, you know, when you kind of reached out to me and you're like, hey, are you interested? I'm like, yes, anything to not talk to myself. Um, you know, because at I this... Think I, just, <laughs> I think I just listened to one of Kalen and, and uh, Phil's, and Phil said something about he was glad Kalen was back because he was tired of talking to himself. And so and, and, I think and, that might have had something to do with it. Yeah, and Phil doesn't have anywhere near the number I do. Uh, I'm like at 200 and, you know, I think I'm like 230 episodes of talking by myself. And, <laughs> and you know, like 15 with other people kind of deal. But no, it's probably not that big. But I'm at least 200 episodes talking by myself. So I'm completely sick of it. And, yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I like getting other people's perspective. I like people pulling... Um, even if it's the same question, I like framing the same kind of data in a different way because it's going to resonate with somebody out there. Somebody's going to be listening yep. to it and go, ah, now that hits on me. You know, that talks to yeah. me. And, it's and, no different than having one instructor, you know, say, hey, do this. And the next instructor coming up and saying, well, hey, if you try this, it might work better for you. And one of those two approaches worked. Yeah. But one didn't. Because some for some reason it didn't resonate properly, and the other you know the second guy that comes along and says it didn't say anything different. It could have just been the tone of voice that it was said in, and it resonated that time. It made sense. Some point was pulled out that they related to. And and, and you know what? That's a huge and and you brought up a, a great point with that. And I'll kind of end on on that note, but and explain a story. So when I worked down at Rifles Only, you know, people have heard Jacob on the podcast and me on the podcast, and and you know, speaking wise, there, there's some people. Oh, Jacob's harsh too, and Frank says this, and in in a way, and believe it or not, back in those days, there would be sort of good cop, bad cop. And Jacob was actually the bad cop, and I was usually the good cop on it. Even Mark, like Mark's much worse on the line than I am. When I'm on the firing line, I'm much more of a good cop kind of guy versus a bad cop. Well, when we were, there was a a period of classes, we had Tiger McKee down there teaching. And uh, Tiger from Alabama used to work at Guns, not Gunsight, but uh, Thunder Ranch with Clint. Clint Yep, Yep, yep. So we were doing a class, and, you know, we're doing trigger control and, and, and this. And so we had Tiger used to camp out at the student 
and he had that sort of southern Alabama drawl. If you ever, he talks real slow, and he's press the trigger, and and he would drag it out like that. I mean, he, I'm almost that's kind of like the best impression of Tiger. I could press the trigger, well, and but really, north and south, yeah. <laughs> well, his, you know, there's my. New York sort of Connecticut speak where I'm fast and I'm sharp and I, and I talk harsh like, you know, that. But then when you drag something out slow, the finger follows. So we were finding that him talking to somebody who had a trigger control problem helped fix it rather than me or Jacob talking to him because we spoke faster and shorter than somebody who's, who spoke longer, dragging yep. the syllables out. And it's a mindset thing. It's like they tell you don't use don't, right? Don't say don't in your head. <laughs> it's like, you know, don't do that means you're going to do it. Well, if you say do, you know, do that this way or, you know, don't say, you know, in your mind, don't say now or shoot or anything short and sharp. Like with movers, people will go, I'm going to shoot the target now. And then they throw their shoulder into it and shoot 10 feet under the target, you know. And instead, if you say press rather than shoot or push or whatever people tell themselves in their head, but if you take words that drag out the process, your hand will follow versus sharp and short. Yep, and that, that's a that's a great illustration of that point. You're you're dead on there. Yep, yep. So that's kind of a great way of putting that. You know, just having somebody frame a question different can can make all the difference in the world. Yep, and, and you know, the first five people might have got it the first way, but it took you know that second question or that second way to get the other five in the class to you know on the same page, and and ultimately they all got it, and right. that's what you want. That's what you want. Totally, totally. All right, Jeremy. Well, I'm going to do the outro music. Stay on the line. We'll get out. If there's anything you want to kind of say to everybody, and thanks. I appreciate you reaching out to me and coming on the podcast and doing this. I, I, I think it, it flowed really well. We had nice conversations, and, and, and you know, it, somebody should be able to pull a nugget or two out of it. I hope so. Thanks for having me, and uh, I appreciate it. Cool. You guys stay on the line. Okay.